0: amen amen good morning good to see you this morning it is a great truth that we as christians believe that what happened two thousand years ago jesus rising from the dead is something that impacts us even today because we believe that jesus is alive and that he's here with us this morning i hope you believe that this morning he is here and he is risen Well, today we want to continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. And it just so happens that we're not talking about the resurrection today. That's next week. That's okay. We just keep teaching the Bible here. Because again, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. If he wasn't alive, we we wouldn't be able to make it through each day. And every Sunday that we meet and every Wednesday that we meet and every time we come together brothers and sisters in Christ, it's only because Jesus is alive that we're doing it. So we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. But today we want to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning at verse 43. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 43. Although I want to begin actually reading with you in verse 66 of Mark 14. And before we begin this message this morning, I want to say this by way of introduction. Mark, this young man who wrote this gospel, enjoys describing individuals who've had encounters with Jesus Christ. And this is certainly one of those passages in the gospel of Mark that illustrate that. And here in this passage, he's going to describe for us three individuals who have had or are having an encounter with Jesus Christ and each one of these individuals in some way is going to describe a different facet of the gospel message. Peter, we're going to see, describes or demonstrates sin. Barabbas is going to demonstrate substitution. And the centurion who's by the cross is going to demonstrate faith. First, let's look at Peter here the leader of the disciples, and see how he, at this moment, demonstrates sin. We're all familiar, probably, with the story of Peter around this time, but I want to read it to you anyway, beginning in chapter 14, verse 66 of Mark. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's slave girls came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked directly at him and said, "'You also were with the Nazarene Jesus.'" But he denied it. I don't even understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway in a rooster crowed. When the slave girl saw him, she began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but he denied it again. A short time later, the bystanders again said to Peter, you must be one of them because you are also a Galilean. Then he began to curse. And he swore with an oath. Basically, he's saying, I swear to God, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And then Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. One of the first principles of the gospel message The message of the Bible is to confront us as human beings with our sin, our sinfulness. The Bible teaches that all of us as human beings were born into sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't hear a lot about that word sin anymore today. It's not a popular subject, obviously. But it's something that the Bible talks about. Because one cannot experience the salvation in God and the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ and the salvation that God offers us as human beings if we're not willing to come to grips with the fact that we are sinful and that our sin has separated us from a holy God. And that's where Peter's at. You will notice here he is in the midst of sinful activity. Think about it. The, the lead disciple of Jesus, the one who has been with him for three years, is now, in this moment, even denying the fact that he knows him at all. Unbelievable, isn't it? Well, if you go back to chapter 14, verse 53 and 54, I'd like to show you why I think he has gotten to this point And why he is manifesting sin in his life. The Bible says they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and elders and experts in the law came together. And Peter had followed him from a distance up to the high priest's courtyard. See, Peter had allowed distance or separation to occur between him and Jesus. He was no longer following Jesus up close, near him. He had distanced himself from Jesus. We are reminded throughout history of the encouragement in following close. In fact, uh, there were rabbis years ago who used to teach their their disciples to follow in the dust of your rabbi. Follow so closely that as, as the rabbi is, in a sense, kicking up the dust of walking that they're right there behind well obviously peter at this moment is no longer following jesus closely he's following him from a distance and why because peter is fearful like the other disciples and when fear begins to creep into our lives as well as other things we think hmm, if i want to preserve myself if i want to be safe i've got to put distance between me and jesus See, he thought the safe place to be was back here while everything was going on up here with Jesus, not knowing how things were going to turn out because Jesus was now on trial for his life. And Peter was like, I don't know. I, I think I'll stay back a little ways. Isn't it interesting, though, that as Peter distanced himself from Jesus, that's where the real danger was lurking. The more he separated himself from Jesus, the more danger he got into. And that's why he has gotten to a point in his life where even as the leader of the disciples, he was denying the Lord three times. You and I have to be careful of distance and separation between us and God. And that's even the whole concept of sin, See, sin tells us that sin separates us from God. Now, obviously, we're going to see God makes a a remedy for that. God wants to bridge that distance between us and Him because He wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with each and every one of us. But it starts with us acknowledging, I'm far away from God. How do I get close to God? And then like Peter, even if I become a follower of Jesus Christ, even if I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have to be careful throughout my earthly life that I don't start to just neglect my walk with Jesus and that I allow distance and separation to take place between me and God. Because if it does then I will not be in a spiritually healthy, good place in my life. I will end up doing things in my life that are very uncharacteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ, just like Peter. Because some of us look at Peter and go, Peter, how could he deny the Lord? Well, when you and I allow distance and separation to come between us and Jesus, we can do and say some crazy things too. Because that's part of the byproduct of that separation and distance. God doesn't want us to be distant from him. God doesn't want us to be separated from him. God wants us to be up close to him. Let me ask you today, does distance characterize your relationship right now with God? Would you say in your life that you and Jesus are really close and you're walking with each other every day and you're in fellowship and you're in communion and, and all of that? Or would you say, oh, there's, there's some distance there. And let me say this. The Bible clearly teaches that if there's distance and separation between us and God, it's not God who ever walked away from us. God never walks away from us. God never creates distance between us and him. If there is distance and separation between us and God, then it falls just where it did with Peter. It's because we choose to separate ourselves and distance ourselves from him. If we don't feel close to God, it's not because he doesn't want to be close. It's because the choices and decisions that we've made in our life have put us in a place like Peter, where we are now following Jesus from a distance rather than up close. The important thing is we don't have to ever stay there. As James says, if you and I draw near to God, God will what? Draw near to us. And God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never walk away from you. So let's get close again. And maybe that's what Easter Sunday this year, 2017, may mean for some of you here. Is that you acknowledge and you, you recognize that through some of the decisions and choices maybe that you've made or not made in your life, there has now been this distance and separation between you and God. The great thing with God is that can always be restored. And we're going to show you how this morning. So that's the first Encounter that Mark wants to sort of shine a light on here is this encounter that Peter is having with Jesus and how Peter at this moment demonstrates one of the facets of the gospel, sin. But let's see another one this morning. Chapter 15, verse 6. The encounter of Barabbas and Jesus. Let me just read these verses. During the feast, it was customary to release one prisoner to the people, "...whomever they requested. So a man named Barabbas was imprisoned with rebels who had committed murder during an insurrection. Then the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to release a prisoner for them, as was his custom. So Pilate asked them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy." But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas instead. So Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Pilate asked them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted more insistently, crucify him. And because he wanted to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And then after he had Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be Crucified. If Peter demonstrates a facet of the gospel we call sin, then Barabbas demonstrates substitution. You see what's happening here, right? Barabbas is a criminal. Barabbas has been judged guilty by the law and he stands condemned. And if nothing changes in Barabbas' condition, he's going to face the death penalty, if you will. And Barabbas could do nothing to free himself. Absolutely nothing. Jesus took the place of Barabbas. Barabbas was set free and released And Jesus now was the one that was condemned. Jesus, in a sense, would die on the cross that was prepared for Barabbas. Barabbas was released, and Jesus now takes his place on that cross. And when you think about it, if you want to make this real personal, put your name in there in place of Barabbas. You and I are Barabbas. (laughs) You see, the message of the gospel is that you and I have the opportunity to be set free from our sins and forgiven because Jesus Christ was willing to be our substitute. He was willing to take our place on the cross and to, in a sense, get all of of, of the punishment that was due to us in order to set us free, in order to have a relationship with God and to be forgiven. He took all of our sin of all time upon himself. This is the message of the Bible. Think about it even back in the Old Testament. What's the prophet Isaiah say to the people of Israel? He said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was placed upon him. And by his stripes or through his wounds, we are able to be healed. Isaiah 53 verse 5. 2 Corinthians 5:21 Paul says to the Corinthians for he who knew no sin Jesus Christ became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him Peter says in 1 Peter 3:18 for Christ suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he may bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit Jesus Christ was our substitute This is the great gospel message that even though sin has separated us from God, we don't have to stay separated. There is now a mediator between us and God, the Bible says. That man, Jesus Christ, he's the one that can bridge the gap of separation and distance between us and God that sin has caused because he loves us so much. He was willing to be our substitute. I want you on this Easter Sunday to just be mindful of that fact. This is the great gospel message that every sin that you and I have ever done that falls short of the glory of God, Jesus Christ took on Himself that day when He hung on that cross. Every sin of every man and every woman, Jesus Christ took upon Himself. He died in our place. He took our punishment. He took our cross so that you and I could be set free. So that you and I could be in a place today where we know we are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. For you and I were not redeemed, set free, released through perishable things like silver and gold. But we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot and without blemish. And John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I want you to understand this morning, even Christian, if you haven't been mindful of this before, that it's not about just Jesus Christ being our substitute so that our sins could be forgiven. He came to take away our sin To give us distance and separation from our sin. He doesn't want us to live in sin. Even as a follower of his. He wants us to know that we have a power over sin in our life. So that sin does not have to reign in our mortal body. Romans chapter 6. That's what the whole idea of the scapegoat is all about in Leviticus 16 and sometime if you have if you want to do a good study do a good study on Leviticus chapter 16. I call Leviticus chapter 16 the Good Friday chapter of the Old Testament. Because it's all about the day of atonement and what happens and happened on the day of atonement which was for the Jew in the Old Testament sort of our Good Friday if you will. Once a year On that day, the high priest, and only the high priest, could enter into the Holy of Holies, which contained the Ark of the Covenant. And when he went there, one of the things he did was he brought the blood of a sacrificed goat. And he would sprinkle the blood of that sacrificial goat on the mercy seat, on top of that Ark of the Covenant. It was symbolic of the fact that God taught from day one that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That we have a problem with sin and the only thing that can take care of that is sacrifice and that all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the one ultimate and only sacrifice that could truly forgive and take away sin, and that was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that could only take away the sin of the world. Well, the other goat, there were two goats on the Day of Atonement. That was one, the one that was sacrificed. There was another one, that they would literally, the high priest would symbolically transfer all the sins of Israel onto this goat. And then just sort of send it out into the wilderness. And it was called the scapegoat. And it was illustrating the fact that, again, it's not just through sacrifice and bringing of forgiveness, but it's the idea that God wants to now put distance and separation between us and sin. That's why the Bible teaches things like God casts our sin into the depths of the sea. He wants to separate us from that. He will not bring up sin to us. He casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. It's all about sending it away and taking it away. So if you're here this morning... And somehow you've got this weight of sin on you. You have got to understand the good news of the Bible is you don't have to carry that weight of sin on you anymore. Jesus Christ came to take that off of you and to send it away as far as the east is from the west. And that's what the message of the gospel and what Barabbas is all about. Jesus took your place and my place. I don't stand before you righteous before God because of my self-righteousness. I have no self-righteousness. I stand before you declared righteous by God because I'm standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, my Savior. And I hope today on this Easter Sunday you can declare that with confidence. That you know that you and God are okay. And that distance has been now brought near to you and that you have a relationship with God and you can draw near to God because you know you do not try to stand before God in your own righteousness and through your own good works. You are standing there based upon the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only standing that we can have. So we have Peter demonstrating sin. We have Barabbas demonstrating substitution. We have the Roman centurion demonstrating faith. Before we get to him, though, I want you to begin with me in verse 21 of chapter 15. And I want you to see one of the unique features of Mark in his gospel. You know, all the go- there's four gospels, but they all have sort of a unique perspective that they give to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And I think because maybe he was the youngest one of the gospel writers... Uh, He has some facets of his gospel that are a little bit different. One of the things that Mark liked to do if he would have lived in modern times is he would have had his cell phone out and he would have been panning around the crowd as things took place. Because Mark was always fascinated, not just by what was taking place with Jesus at that moment, but what was the reaction and responses of all these different groups of people or individuals around Jesus at that moment. Think of that when you read the Gospel of Mark. You will always see throughout his Gospel where he's not just focused on what's happening to Jesus or with Jesus, but then he'll take the camera, if you will, and he'll pan around and he'll start looking at different people and go, what's their reaction to this? How are they responding to this? And I want you to see this before we even get to the centurion. You'll notice in a very solemn way, the Bible simply uses Four words to describe the most his greatest historical event in human history, beginning in verse 24 of Mark 15. Then they crucified him. I mean, wouldn't you think that if if we were writing this, we would have probably went into all this detail? And yet, I think in God's even mind, it was probably like any kind of detail God would have written to try to would have some in some way diminished the significance of what was happening there at that moment so the bible simply says then they crucified him but i want you to notice as mark pans around now the crowd around the cross as jesus is being crucified some of the different groups of people and what's going on there first notice the soldiers in verse 24 Then they crucified him, and the soldiers divided his clothes, throwing dice for them to decide what each would take. Totally oblivious to really the significance of what was going on. And they were right there. Yet they didn't have a clue. Then you have in verse 29, the passers-by. He says, those who passed by defamed him, shaking their heads, saying, Ah, you can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Then in verse 31, we have the religious leaders of Israel. In the same way, even the chief priests, together with the experts in the law, were mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now that we may see and believe. Then we have the criminals that were crucified with Jesus. It says those that were crucified with him also spoke abusively to him. In verse 35, you have the bystanders, not the passers by, but the bystanders, the ones who are not just passing through, but the ones who are just sort of standing They're, They'd be like the looky loos as we like to call them today. They heard him say something and said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put her on a stick and gave it to him to drink saying, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. Then in verse 40 and 41, you have a description of the women. Many women were faithful followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. And there were many women that day, again, watching from a distance in verse 40. But they were there at the cross watching the crucifixion. But then notice in verse 39. The Bible says when the centurion who stood in front of him saw how he died, he said, truly this man was God's son. The centurion nailed it. He was demonstrating faith. He's like, this guy really is not just a human being. This man is the son of God. It's exactly what Mark started out his gospel with. If you go all the way back to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, here's how Mark starts out his gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I, Mark, am here to declare that right from the very beginning. You see, the purpose of Mark's gospel is to evoke from the reader of Mark's gospel a lasting response in word and deed to the true identity of Jesus Christ. So throughout this gospel, he's always trying to say, here's the true identity of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. Do you have faith and believe in him in that way? And then he'll go around and start looking at the different responses. Do you have a lasting response in word and deed? Do you have a lasting response? How about you, sir? Are you going to follow Jesus? How long are you going to follow Jesus? That, That was sort of Mark. Because he wants to encourage others like himself to become not just a believer in jesus christ but to become a faithful follower and disciple of jesus christ to demonstrate faith in jesus just like this centurion did and that's how you and i then can bridge that gap between us and god it takes faith for by grace are you and i saved through faith That faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We come to a relationship with God only by faith, only by placing our confidence, our trust in what God has said and what God has done in and through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's faith. It is firm conviction But it is so much more than that. It is a conviction that then impacts and influences everything in my life. And that's where many times even as Christians, we don't go far enough with our understanding and application of faith. We think faith is simply a mental thing. And so we sort of stop where the centurion started we sort of go, yeah, I, I get it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Good. I've got faith. I'm a person of faith. Boom, that's it. And we don't realize that it's so much more than mentally coming to an understanding of the true identity of Jesus Christ. That's just the start of it. That's just the start of it. That's not the end. You remember what the Bible says? The Bible says even demonic beings believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So if you and I are going to say, well, our, our definition of faith is simply to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that's his true identity, then we haven't went near far enough. And with that, that kind of faith will never bring us to a place where we will become a disciple and faithful follower of Jesus, which is what the Bible calls us to. Not just to come into a relationship with God, but to come into partnership with God in our life. So I want to take you now, for just a few moments, we have left, to a passage of Scripture where I think more than anywhere else in the Bible, we see Jesus calling men and women to follow him in faith. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow this, go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28, 29 and 30. Jesus starts out by saying this in verse 28 Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation to faith. It's saying, Yes, I want you to have the conviction that I am the Son of God, but I also want you to have the conviction that if you come to me, I can give you the gift of rest. We're going to talk about what that is. Before we do, remember again, Jesus isn't calling us to a church. He isn't calling us to a denomination. He isn't calling us to some ministry or some some. Uh, religious structure. (laughs) He says, here's the secret to life. Come to me. I, he says, and I alone can give you rest. And who's he calling out? He says, I'm calling out those of you who are weary and burdened. Let's first look at the word weary. It means worn out. And the word burden means weighed down in the Greek language. Now think about that for a moment. Maybe even including yourself at this moment, how many people do you know right now that you would describe as worn out and weighed down by life? I can tell you, I know a lot of people in that condition. A lot of people. And see, here's the thing. I know people that don't have a relationship with God, obviously, who are in that condition. But I also know a lot of people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ who are in that condition too. They are worn out and they are weighed down. And here's the reason. It's not because, especially if you're a Christian, you've already come to the place in your mind And in your heart where you say, Jesus, I trust and believe that you are the son of God. But Jesus calls us to a life of faith, not just to a moment of faith in our life. And he says, if you want to experience my rest, you got to take that step of faith and you got to come to me. And then you'll experience this supernatural gift of rest that I will give you. Then Jesus goes on. Look at the next verse. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your what? Souls. For your souls. The whole phrase, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, is Jesus describing this. I want you not just to believe in me as your savior. I want you to become my disciple. I want you to become my faithful follower. And I want you to learn to do life in partnership with me. And when you, Jesus says, learn to do life in partnership with me. We're we're linking arms with Jesus every day where in a sense we're holding him by the hand and we're walking through every day of life with him, then Jesus says you will find, you will discover, you will learn what rest for your soul really is all about. But Jesus is also saying here that if we never are willing to take that step of faith, beyond the mental ascent of Jesus, you're the Son of God, I trust you as my Savior. If that's where it ends and doesn't where it begins, this kind of faith walk with Jesus, then you and I will always find ourselves worn down and weighed down by life and life's circumstances. Why? Because we are choosing not to do life in partnership with Jesus. That even though we know Jesus and know of Jesus, and know about Jesus, we're really not doing life in partnership with him. Therefore, this rest is always escaping us. And we may even be trying to find other coping mechanisms in our life to try to bring us to that place of soul rest. But again, Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that can give you that kind of rest. And unless you and I are willing to come by faith to me, That rest will be elusive in your life. And you will always experience being weary, worn down, weighed down, and burdened. Why? Because you're trying to do life on your own instead of in partnership with me. Which is why then Jesus goes on to say in the very last verse, for my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Jesus says, if you by faith are willing to hook up with me and do life with me, life will become very manageable for you. It will never be at this place where it is unmanageable and overwhelming. Why? Because we have the Lord of glory. We have the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have the Son of God who is right there with us, doing life with us side by side every day. So I don't have to carry the weight of my life and all the responsibility and all the circumstances that come my way. I don't have to deal with that on my own. I've got Jesus Christ who will enable me and empower me through His Spirit and through His presence to be able to navigate life and manage life and handle life. And do any of us who are here today think not that this message is not something that needs to get out there today? When you look out at the world today, I don't know about you, but I see a massive humanity that is crumbling and being crushed under the pressure and weight of their life on earth. We are living in a world of addiction of all kinds. We are living in a world where people are broken down. Why? Because the weight of life and the responsibilities of life and the circumstances of life have crushed them. Because they are carrying around a weight either of sin or something else that God never intended for us as human beings to carry. And Jesus Christ all along through the gospel message of the Bible is saying, let me take that weight off of you. Let me take that sin and get rid of it. Let me forgive it. Let me get rid of the guilt and the shame and all that. Let me take it away. Let me release it. Let me let it go. Come to me. And then he says to his followers, you're you're getting worn down by life. You're getting weighed down because you're trying to do it on your own. Take my yoke and learn from it. Do life in partnership with me. Let's hook up. That's what a yoke was. I know a lot of, especially younger people, but even many people today have no idea what a yoke is. A yoke was simply an apparatus that was placed on two uh, beasts of burden that basically joined them together so that they could plow a field or, or do work. And so Jesus is saying, when he said, take my yoke, he's saying, hook up with me and let's do this thing together so that life can be so much more manageable so that you are not weighed down. But you know what that takes? That takes faith. Because that means I've got to say, life is too much for me to handle on my own. Jesus, I need you to help. I need you to support me. I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need you, Lord. Therefore, I'm going to not just believe in you and have a relationship with you. I'm going to, by faith, hook up with you. And I'm going to do every day of my life in partnership with you. I'm going to let you take the weights off of my life so that I can be free. So that I can be free. One of my favorite verses in all the word of God is 1 Peter 5, 7, where Peter encourages all of us. Cast all your care on Him because He cares for you. Some of you are being broken down in your life physically, emotionally, and spiritually because you, are, you have been carrying a weight around on your back and in your life for far too long. And any of us as human beings, when we continue to carry those weights that God never intended for us to carry nor can we carry... We will begin to break down physically. We will start to get all kinds of physical problems. We will start to break down emotionally. And we will start to break down spiritually. Because we are trying to carry this weight. And we really are not capable of it. And all along, Jesus is saying, give me that. Let me shoulder it with you. Or let me completely take it off of your shoulder so that you don't even have to carry that anymore. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. It starts with our acknowledgement of sin. Somewhere in there we have to come to an understanding of substitution. But then it also culminates with this whole concept of faith. And faith is so much more than just a mental understanding. That's why the Bible says faith without works is dead faith. James. See, because faith is active. Faith is an action word. Faith is taking a step. And Jesus is saying to all of us today, on this very Sunday, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I alone will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Let me say this before I close in prayer this morning. Please listen to what I'm about to say. This is important. When you and I have gotten to a place in our life where we are at soul rest, where we have allowed, through following Jesus Christ and becoming his disciple and living life in partnership with him, where we have found rest for our soul at that level, then the other areas of our life will be at rest too. But the flip side or opposite of that is also true. When you and I are not at soul rest, when we are not at a place where our soul is experiencing rest, then other areas of our life will not be at rest too. And I get the sense that there are some of you even here this morning that it's been a long time and maybe even ever That you've really ever been at rest in your soul. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but maybe it's just you've never really learned to do life in partnership with God. And Jesus today is saying don't live one more day, one more hour, one more minute, one more week, one more year without learning to do life in partnership with me. Take that step of faith today. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. While our worship team is coming, let me encourage you this morning. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God gave me this specific message for this specific Sunday. He wanted me to speak about this today. So I've got to believe that we needed to hear this today. So I want to encourage us today. Faith is all about responding to God. That's what it is. It's action. It's response. Faith is not just sitting there doing nothing. Faith will always have a positive response toward or to God. And so today, Jesus is calling us all to faith. To be like the centurion where he started his journey. Truly, this man is God's son. But I hope we all understand today that that's not where it ends. That's just where it begins. Because Jesus says, I want you to come to a place in your life where it's more than just acknowledging me as the son of God. It's about living life in partnership with me. It's about letting me take away the weight of your life. Whether it's the weight of sin or whatever that weight looks like however we have gotten to that place in our life where we are worn down and weighed down, Jesus is saying to us, let me shoulder that weight with you. Let me take that weight completely off your shoulders so that you can be free. That's faith. Faith is us now saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus, I'm coming. When Jesus turned to his followers or to to those that he was calling to follow, he said, follow me. Now, not everybody did, but those who exhibited faith got up and they began to follow Jesus. They had to take that step toward Jesus or to Jesus. They had to come to him. And so today, I want to encourage all of us. Whether it's literally and physically coming to Jesus this morning in some way or whether it's even just right there in your heart and in your mind saying, Jesus, I'm coming to you today. I want to live my life in partnership with you. That you will come to him today and let him release you and let him set you free. Jesus, thank you for being our substitute, for taking our sin upon yourself, for taking the punishment that we were due upon you because you love us so much, because you want to have a relationship with us. You want to do life in partnership with us. And you were willing to go through all that you went through so that that could be established. All you ask of us as human beings is now to follow you in faith, to step out, to step up, to step forward, and come to you. So God, encourage those that need to come today to have the courage to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.